Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast, episode number 201. Blunders that cer- certainly can cost a 401k plan sponsor. Uh, talk about business history, some of my favorite business blunders and whatnot. Uh, but of course, first things first, uh, that 401ksite.com for further information on all our live events. We'll be in Seattle on uh, September the 9th, I believe, and... Uh, November 18th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to that 4 for further information. We should have the Charlotte site up soon for uh, people to sign up and whatnot, but uh, Seattle registration is open. And uh, we'll see what's going to go on for 2023. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, see what the MLB schedule holds. A whole bunch of stadiums I haven't been to. I think we got about eight. And... Uh, after this year, it'll be about six. So we'll try to do three and three. We'll see what happens. And, you know, the problem with Oakland is I don't think Oakland's going to be a possibility. I think that team is going to be moving to Las Vegas. So I don't think we'll be doing Oakland. And that's a tough one because, the you know, talking about having these events, cost is obviously we, we don't have an unlimited budget. And, fortunately, the venues in San Francisco that I've looked at, which, of course, was the stadium for the Giants. It was a $15,000 minimum rental. So uh, it's a lot more than the budget for our, you know, our events, uh, pretty much. And uh, I looked at the 49er Stadium in Santa Clara, which is about 30 miles away from San Francisco. They were also the same kind of price point. We'll see what we can do. But, you know, we got other cities to tend to. Probably a Midwest flavor next year. I got three that I'm looking at. You know, Milwaukee, we've never been to. Detroit and Cincinnati. We'll see what happens. Um, And uh, we'll keep you informed uh, as uh, we get closer to the end of the year. But again, go to that foreigncakesite.com for further information on all the live events. Blunders. Big fan of history. Um, Business history. Obviously, you know, certain mistakes that companies make. Uh, there was a search engine company called Excite. They didn't want to buy Google for some reason. Same thing with Blockbuster not buying Netflix. Um, there, of course, was um, a record label, Decca. They were going to want it in Great Britain. They wanted to sign an up-and-coming band. They had to audition two young bands at their studios. They hired, they, well, I mean, they decided to sign Brian Poole and the Tremolos, Tremolos, I guess. The band they rejected was the Beatles. Uh, needless to say, uh, that was a big mistake. And, you know, the problem with blunders, obviously, um, mistakes that plant sponsors make, you won't see them in the history book. Uh, I remember 25 years ago, I read a book when Giants Stumble talking about Business giants making irreversible errors that cost them, you know, companies like Montgomery Ward, Schwinn, whatnot. Wish a guy would do a sequel on that because obviously with, uh, you know, Google and Excite and Netflix and Blockbuster, that would have been a really, really good book. One blunder that can cost a 401k plant sponsor that we really don't talk about is, you know, really placing too much faith in plant providers, uh, Everybody knows, or if you don't, I, I, I've been a big fan of professional wrestling for 40 years. And, uh, yeah, I know it's not real, but neither is, you know, Bold and the Beautiful and the Young and the Restless. 
I know it's it's a show, but what what? But it's entertaining. And my favorite wrestler of all time was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, and he was the anti-authority figure. Um, and he would say, "Don't trust anybody." Uh, which it's a funny saying, and I actually still have the shirt. Um, but uh, I, I think that the problem with a lot of plant sponsors, they have too much faith in their plant providers. They don't check what they're doing. They rely on the word of their plant providers, who often tell you, especially on the TPA side, maybe telling you self-serving things. Oh, your plant's in order, everything's fine, and whatnot. And, you know, plant sponsorship gets rid of the TPA. There's a conversion, and... Then of course the plant sponsor realizes, oh, I better not uh, have blind. I, you know, I, I should have had that blind trust in a plant provider. And uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with having trust, uh, but it can't be blind. So you can trust your spouse, um, but you know, when there are certain things that you should question, then question it. But Blind trust, you know, trust is earned in my opinion. It's it's it can't be blind. It's got to be over a period of time. But again, it can't be blind. It has to be earned, and you can't let plant providers take it for granted. And as I comp contemplate writing another book, I, I have two ideas for a book. One is to take one of the screenplays I wrote about my high school years, kind of loosely based on, write a book about it, or I thought about a book of sayings. In uh, in points of kind of like philosophy that I've come in my life and, and the examples and one of my favorite new phrases of all uh, of recent note last couple of years is you can't be a spectator in your own life um, and I and I say that because I've known people especially one person in particular who you know is uh, fifty five years old. And for one reason or another, has allowed everybody else to guide her life, where she has had no control over it since the time she was in her 20s. That's because she just allowed it. And you can't be a spectator in your own life. You have to be an active and willing participant. And as a plan sponsor, you just can't sit back and just say, you know, I'll do whatever the plan provider tells me. It doesn't work like that. As a plant fiduciary, you have the fiduciary duty of prudence. And that, you know, prudence means checking up on the plant providers to make sure that they're doing the job that they're getting paid for. So often you would see, not so much now, but you would see advisors and plans never service the client whatsoever and still collect a, a ridiculous fee. Uh, you really can't take the plant provider's word that everything's going great. Because opinion is, you know, again, very self-serving at times. And as a planned fiduciary, the job is to review what they're doing. Blunders, um, being on the cutting edge. When it comes time to health situations, you know, when it comes to, you know, situations life and death, I'm always a big fan of finding the best doctors out there. Uh, and too often I know people that, go to the closest uh, doctor. And I think that that is an absolute mistake. I live in Long Island, and I think the best doctors, I have a bias, most of the best doctors are in New York City. If I had cancer, I'm not going to my next my hospital over here, South Nassau, which is not a very good hospital. I'm going to go to, you know, this pretty well-known cancer place called Memorial Sloan Kettering, 
where I'm going to try for cutting-edge uh, medical treatment. Unlike grim medical conditions, a plant sponsor can't be on the side of cutting-edge when it comes to retirement plant features. Um, you want to save your life, you do everything you can. Uh, when it comes to being a plant fiduciary, you have a level of responsibility, and you really can't be pushing things when it should be. Um, I have, uh, right now, I've, I've had a plant audit going on two years for a client, pretty well-known uh, clothing manufacturer, terminated defined benefit plan, still on audit two years later. Because they used a plant provider with, you know, doing a lot of quirky insurance stuff with special trusts within defined benefit plans. And this, again, once again, the IRS is clamping down on this plant provider. Uh, luckily, my plan sponsor terminated the plan and paid out the insurance benefit, uh, paid out the insurance policy, was bought correctly. Um, you know, my plan sponsor client is going to be on the hook for any sanctions, but, you know, working with a cutting-edge plan provider uh, can certainly cost you. And funny story about this plan provider, they are literally uh, two villages over from where I live. I interviewed there years ago when my son was a newborn and they wanted to offer me a job uh, as an ERISA attorney. I was already at Geller and they really were going to offer me like $5,000 more or $10,000. It was, it was a minuscule amount and I'm like, it it's, doesn't fit me. I would have had to report to a paralegal who was running the – and I'm like, you know what? Uh, this just doesn't sound right and luckily um, – I didn't take the position. Um, as far as when it comes to cutting edge these days, there's nothing more cutting edge than going on with uh, some of these plant providers and offering a Bitcoin investment within your 401k plan. Um, I want to say, as far as my bias against Bitcoin or 401k plan, I today just bought 400 bucks worth of Bitcoin. I buy crypto in my private money. But I not in a million years would I ever let a 401k plant participant uh, do that. Uh, why? Uh, obviously, the Department of Labor said, you know what, uh, this, is a, this is a bad thing. We're going to have a, you know, we have a compliance assistance and bulletin, and uh, we're, uh, we're going to start looking at uh, plant sponsors that offer it. And uh, besides the DOL's thinking, it was a bad idea to begin with. Uh, plan participants um, make the worst investment decisions because they're the most inept. They are the least educated. Um, you hate to say that, but it's true as a whole. And why would I take a unregulated, volatile investment such as Bitcoin or even worse, some of those other tokens and pieces of crappy crypto, which have fluctuates daily, why would I put it in the hand of plant participants? Because it's a weapon of mass destruction in terms of uh, account portfolios. Because plant participants as a whole don't have the wherewithal to be a buy and hold investor. The first sign of trouble, they're just going to, you know, they see crypto going down, you know, and again, crypto is 69K. Today it was hovering below $20,000. As I record it today, this isn't an investment that we want for retirement savings that, you know, is a tried and true investment, heavily regulated, and is steady. 
uh, a steady gainer. This is too too volatile investment to put in the hands of playing participants. And again, um, the DOL has spoken on this issue. They have come from the mountain top, like Moses with the Ten Commandments: "Thou shalt not uh, allow participants to invest in Bitcoin unless you want to be investigated." And I understand, you know, there's a lawsuit. Good luck with that. One of the plant providers that offered Bitcoin is suing it. Um, I don't know much about administrative law anymore. I think I, I think I took it in law school. And administrative law rules, when you're suing an administrative agency, you have to show that the rulemaking was arbitrary and capricious. This actually wasn't rulemaking. It was actually a compliance assistant bulletin. It doesn't have the same hold as a reg. Uh, and I don't think that they're going to win the case. Um, you know, uh, and in, in terms of why did Fidelity push through? Well, Fidelity was planning long ago when Bitcoin was at $69,000. They were trying to have an offering for Bitcoin within a 401k plan because there was a demand on it. And, you know, as they say in life, timing is everything. And needless to say, they came to the marketplace when Bitcoin is a third of its highest. And now it's actually less than a third. Um, I would, again, strongly recommend the plan sponsor not consider it. I think it's a bad idea. I don't, um, I don't want the hammer of the DOL plan audit. thing with a DOL audit, it's like a proctological exam. It's like a colonoscopy. It's very invasive, and you never know what you're going to find. Uh, and unfortunately, unlike a colonoscopy, they don't put you out for these DOL audits, and they last a lot longer than a colonoscopy. Never, which I, I had one last year, second one, and uh, I, I recommend anybody you know in that age group talk to your doctors and whatnot. It's an interesting process, but uh, I'd rather go through a colonoscopy than another audit uh, with a client that decided to add uh, Bitcoin uh, as an offering. Another popular blunder, not being properly insured, um, you know, dealing with risk plans certainly can be hazardous. That's why um, it's important to get coverage. And unlike car insurance in Brooklyn, it's not crippling. Um, and that's a, that's a side joke. Uh, I remember when I was dry, first started driving in Brooklyn and uh, actually, I wasn't first driving. I was already a driver. And anyway, I was in my 20s before the age, golden age of 25. And I think it was $3,000 for our 1990 Acura Legend. And uh, as it stands now, I, you know, 25 years later, 27 years later, I, I pay less for two cars uh, than my parents were paying for that uh, Acura Legend. Um, but again, a risk of coverage, a risk of bonds, it's required. Uh, fiduciary liability insurance is not. A risk of bond is protecting plant assets from theft by plant fiduciaries. Um, it's important. It's required. It's a question on the DOL 55, the form 5500, DOL IRS, uh, administered form. Plan sponsor doesn't have the requisite coverage. They answer correctly under penalties of perjury that they don't have the requisite bond coverage. Voila, boom, they will get visited by the DOL or the IRS on an audit. Um, I think it's important for plan sponsors to realize that once plan assets increase, the bond 
typically does not go automatically and, and change and increase. So I think it's important that plan sponsors are on top of that. Fiduciary liability insurance, uh, I think, while not required, um, as someone who knows a thing or two about litigation and um, personal liability, I think it's a must uh, for anybody who has an ERISA plan um, to protect uh, coverage. Litigation can be expensive. Um, I remember working for a law firm where we represented a union that was sued as part of a class action on their retirement plan offering and million dollars in litigation fees. They were only responsible for the uh, $100,000 um, uh, portion of it as part of the, the, the $100,000 deductible. So I think it's certainly worthwhile. Obviously another plan blunder, not reviewing fees. Um, you know, if you overpay for things, you know, I, I, it's a pain to rear end. I am a big fan of Vineyard Vines. Uh, I like to collect Vineyard Vines pocket t-shirts, especially over, you know, interesting, you know, not what you see in the Vineyard Vines store, but, you know, uh, commemorative stuff, uh, city-specific stuff. And Fanatic sells sports-related Vineyard Vines pocket t-shirts, and there was one for this past um, Kentucky Derby. You know, it's got a whale on the back with a nice hat and tickets and all that stuff. And um, the problem uh, is they were selling out the shirt I liked. It was 40-something bucks. Two days later, it was 20. Um, that's on me. I overpaid, but that's life. And then, of course, at 20 bucks, it sold out. But I, I did buy it and overpay 20 bucks for it or whatever. Plan for Duce shirt doesn't have that luxury of overpaying for things. Uh Expenses have to be reasonable for the services provided. And obviously, we now operate in a transparent environment where plan providers getting a thousand bucks or more have to disclose all their fees. In the old days, when the plan provider could give you a form or not, to tell you all the fees they got or not, uh, that was a pain in the rear end because the plan sponsor really couldn't judge uh, what was reasonable and what was not. Reviewing plan fees are important. Uh, means taking those fee disclosures, not throwing them out, benchmarking them, using services, using a 401k averages book, or seeking quotes from other plan providers. Uh, again, plan sponsors don't have to hire the cheapest plan provider. Uh, if they just hire someone who's cheap, that is a recipe for disaster. Um, and, and, that, and that's that. Last but not least, um, I always think that one of the cardinal sins out there is to be arrogant. And I think that arrogance, you know, uh, I've met a lot of arrogant people. I spent three years at two law firms. So I think I've, I've certainly had my fair share of arrogant people. Um, and the problem with arrogant people is they know it all. Um, you know, again, arrogance is an attitude superiority manifested in overbearing manner or in presumptuous claims or assumptions. You spent 24 years in this business. You got a lot of plan sponsors that just are arrogant. I know everything. My plan provider tells me everything's okay. I don't have to talk to you. You just want my business. Um, you know, it's wrong to assume about things, and a lot of plan sponsors assume everything is going uh, well with their plan, and they really have no idea. Um, if they're not in the business, they really have no idea. And I think it's important for plan sponsors, you know, know what you know. And admit what you don't know. 
And um, just because someone's telling you everything is okay, someone else may not. Uh, and again, I, I think that uh, you hire somebody who's independent, like an arrest attorney, where this is the point where I'm supposed to cough. Uh, that's a way of finding out. There are certainly other ways to do it as well, but I, I just think that uh, it's absolute mistake to just know it, think you know it all. Um, and again, we, we see that quite a bit out there uh, with arrogant people. They think everything's fine, everything's perfect because somebody told them, and they just don't want to know anything new or, or whatnot. Or that's just how it is. Um, and, and you know, people people have limited time, and they don't put the priority on their four hundred one k plans as they should. Because to me, you know, a good four hundred one k plan is an effective means to recruit and retain employees. You know, my wife just changed jobs a few weeks ago, and. Uh, she had an insurance company provider for her previous plan, wasn't too happy about it, goes to the new plan company, whatnot, a, a new firm, and, um, you know, Fidelity is the TPA. My wife likes Fidelity. Uh, I like Fidelity um, in terms of Fidelity funds and whatnot. And just I, I think that their service as a TPA is very, very good, and that's not a knock. And my listeners out there who have their own TPA shops, but I'm just using that as an example. And, uh, you know... It was, a, it was a big sell for her. Also, another big sell was she only had six-month service requirement instead of a year as some other firms have. So she's happy for now. Um, funny story about my wife. Uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but years ago, she didn't understand. Years ago, my wife worked for government. She worked for the state and the city. Uh, she didn't understand why I want to go on my own. She thought it was a bad idea. Um, then she works for a couple law firms and then realized that, you know, I was right all along. And if you know anything about me, I like being right. No matter how many years later, uh, we all have our limitations in life and I certainly, uh, know mine. I'll never make it in the NBA among other things. Um, so anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, topic, uh, and you tune in next week for another episode of that 401k podcast. Thanks. Bye.